Look at that. We're live. <laughs> All right, this should be fun. I figured this is going to be the, if you're not uh, five minutes early, you're late kind of mentality. So uh, let me be sure real quick, because this is our first live endeavor in this. I'm going to make sure that we are actually uh, actually looking good, sounding good. So I got to put my headphones on real quick. I want to test the sound real fast, and we'll make some adjustments if need be. One moment here. This is why I got on early. I'm like, well, at least, you know, make sure that this is halfway decent. Here we go. Here we go. There might be. Okay, cool. We're good. We're good. We're good. Uh, that was something that I was slightly worried about. Uh, wanted to make sure that we were actually, uh, you know, looking good, sounding good, doing all the things. Oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. I'm excited. This will be fun. I, I've done the live streaming thing before as it pertains to uh, gaming, as some people know, uh, when it comes to uh, my vice, which is what this whole setup is typically used for. Uh, very typically, it's used more for uh, video games and my own entertainment and streaming and whatnot on Twitch. Uh, we are going to be switching to YouTube, though. That's, that's not that they're going to care, but... I'm definitely switching. Uh, but this is gonna be uh, this is gonna be an interesting one. And I figure within the first couple of minutes, it gives me an excuse to actually crack open a bottle of wine and kind of get ready for this whole shindig. You know what I'm talking about? I'm also, it feels like the camera is like off. I don't know why. It feels weird. I'm also I know I'm looking down at like the the stream. I'm trying to keep it like right here to my right so that when or if people chime in, I can be like, oh hey, what's going on? It's like right here. It's easy to look at. The joys. It's the good stuff, right? <laughs> oh my gosh. It's been a day. I'll tell you what, it's been a day. This is why we're doing Wine Wednesday. It's hump day. We're taking a little break. We're going to talk wine, wine tasting specifically. Oh, God, I almost just knocked the hell out of that. We're doing it live. It's fine. It's fine. It's fine. So this is going to be a thing. We're going to try and do this every, every third week of the month is do a live show. We missed last month because I was like sick and I was stuffy and coughing and it was bad. And I, I almost, I was not, I'm dead serious. I thought that... Uh, Wednesday was yesterday. I've, I've been a day behind this entire week or a day ahead this entire week. I don't know if it's the time change or just traveling this last weekend or what, what the deal was, uh, but I've just felt off. So I'm trying to like sort this all out. Uh, I'm also confused because Selection Sunday was this last Sunday for March Madness. I, I thought, oh, that we still have tournaments going on. It's going to be like this following Sunday. Turns out it was three days or four days ago. What is it? Um, and that's just weird. That's just weird. Um, I thought for sure that um, it was going to be later on down the line. So I had to put together my brackets and everything. I was in a hurry to do it. By the way, Houston's going to win it all, unless the Zags win it all. But the, I mean, I'm, I'm really hopeful that my Zags pull it off. But let's be honest, I don't know if they have the, I don't know if they have the gusto this year. Houston's going to win it all. It's going to be Houston Marquette in the final. Calling it as I seize it. <laughs> Go to my Instagram or my Twitter. You'll see the full thing. All right, so it's six o'clock. It's time for a little happy slappy hour. 
And what I wanna do during these live tasting events, and hopefully as we get folks to tune in and, and talk shop and ask questions, I want this to be kind of an extension of what I do in the cellar out at the winery. And that we're sitting there, we got a bottle of wine open, and we can talk more kind of generally about wine, winemaking, some of the stuff that goes into these glasses uh, once the wine's finally bottled up and ready to enjoy. Uh, but first and foremost, cheers. Thank you for tuning in, whether you're watching this live on a Wednesday or if you're watching it later on down the line or listening to it uh, through whatever podcast network you get your podcasts. I appreciate it. I really, really do. So cheers. Mm -mm -mm. And I picked a wine that's very apropos for the conversation that we're having today because we've touched on so far for the first few episodes, kind of more introduction type stuff. Uh, we did hit it pretty hard uh, early in March with some of the wine additive and uh, fining kind of things that we can use or that are available to us as winemakers. So we have gotten you know pretty deep into the rabbit hole in the first you know month and a half or so. But we started out episode one just like basic winemaking talk in terms of like the process from grapes on down the line to aging. And that's where I really wanna pick up today's conversation is when it comes to wine aging and what us winemakers are looking for when it comes to a barrel of wine that's gonna sit in a cellar for a few months, a few years, or whatever the case may be. And we'll draw a little bit of experience from what we do for MTGA as well as Blair Payton and with that, I do want to kind of start off the conversation with this is all very subjective, that every winemaker will have kind of their own thoughts and ideas on what's going to be best for the wines that they're making. The way we do things and how we do things is what works for us. Uh, some of that might translate to other producers and other programs. Some of it definitely won't. And this is why you can have so much wine being made and so many wineries within Napa, within Sonoma, California, the West Coast, the U.S. as a whole, and the world as a whole, is because there's so many little things that you can tweak and dial in and experiment with. And the barrel aging side of things is no different. There are so many different avenues. And for us, we actually employ a few different avenues because you know, the 1200 cases or so of wine that we make, I mean, man, there's, there's going to be uh, what, I mean, nine different wines that we make under MTGA probably year in and year out. And there's going to be likely the two others for Blair Payton. So we have call it 11 different wines that we're making, depending on the year and the season and what's going on across a very small production. And we want all of those to be different and unique and special within their own right. So how do we create that when it comes to aging and, and winemaking? And when it comes to, let's say, the, just the barrels in particular and what's going on. And this is something that is kind of tough. I mean, as a consumer, this is something I talk to people about all of the time. And every time I talk about this, I swear to God, I get the deer in the headlights look. It's just like, there's no, like it just, it just kind of, it's a lot. It's a lot of information. And it's, it's partially why my opinion on barrel tasting as a consumer, like even me, if I'm going into a winery 
And they're like, hey, come and taste this out of barrel. I'm hesitant to do so because I really don't know their theory on wine and winemaking. I don't know how that fruit's been processed. I don't know necessarily even what vineyard it's coming from. I may have a better idea as they explain things, but even then, there's a lot of judgment calls that go into why that wine is in that barrel and why you want me or any consumer for that matter to taste it. Because a barrel sample is, it's an incomplete picture. I was sitting down with uh, some folks within the last couple of days, actually. And we're talking about our Cabernet program. And we have quite a few barrels of Cabernet this year. We actually have, I think all said and done, I think 15, 16 barrels of Cabernet in our cellar right now. And with that, if you were to taste one barrel out of those, let's call it 15, just for the sake of it. If you were to taste one barrel out of that, you're taking tasting one fifteenth of what that wine might actually become. You're taking, you're experiencing a fraction of what is going on in our barrel program. So as much as it, it's kind of cool to taste barrels and see where wines are like partway through the process, barrel tastings are kind of useless unless you're the one making the wine. Because when you're making the wine, you're looking for a few things. And the first thing I think that most of us look for when we smell anyone, whether we just pop open a bottle like we just did, I did almost out of habit. I just did one of these, just a quick swirl and smell. Didn't think of it, didn't, didn't taste it, just kind of went, up, went about my business. And the reason for that is because that first smell and that first impression is all about, is there something wrong? Is there something else I need to pay attention to that could be going wrong? Now, since this is a bottle of wine that I've finished and that I've made, my hope is that that's not the case and it's not, luckily enough, it tastes great. Uh, but when it comes to like a bottled wine, you're looking at, okay, is there a potential for it to be corked? Are there any other issues that might be going on? Um, and if I've done my job correctly as a winemaker, this should be just line it up to knock it down, right? But you still just out of habit. I mean, anytime, if, if you've hung out with me at any point in time, the first, every time a wine hits my glass, whether you've opened it or I've opened it or someone else has, the first thing I do is I swirl, smell, and just be like, okay. Uh, like I don't, I typically don't even taste it. I just sit there and I kind of get the gears turning because I want to start to kind of process what's actually going on in the wine. Now, you know, for myself as a winemaker, it's, it's different than if you're cracking open a bottle of wine with friends and you're just going to drink it and carry it on. It's just different because I'm really trying to evaluate a wine and where it is in its life and kind of what my expectations are of what I know of that vintage, that producer, that vineyard site, and what kind of techniques may have gone into making that wine. Like I want to geek out about it. But there are plenty of times where I'll pop open a bottle. I'm just like, you know what? Right to it, right to the dome. Not going to think too hard about it. We all need our Tuesday night pizza wines after all. But anytime I'm going to go through like a barrel tasting, let's say, I do the same thing. Because even though those wines are still kind of just evolving and they're really just getting going, I want to make sure that they're on the right track. And I do the same thing. Grab a wine thief, take a little wine out of that barrel, put it into a glass, give it a swirl and I just give it a smell and I set the glass down and I have a little black like moleskin notebook that I just write some notes in. And that's just to 
just have like first impression thoughts, characteristics. It's nothing too geeky. It's nothing too crazy. I'm not waxing poetically about everything that I'm smelling or what I think it's going to taste like or where it is in the process. It's clean and simple stuff. If I'm barrel tasting through my own wines, it's smells yummy, great fruit characteristics on the nose, maybe a touch of oakiness. You're getting certain spice characteristics, nicely balanced. As I taste it, I say, rounds out on the palate, great acidity to the wine, needs more time, but on the right track. That's like all that I write down. That's almost like a verbatim description of my barrel tastings when I do them when I'm out there like evaluating our wines. Because part of that process of barrel tasting for us is just making sure they're going the right direction. And are these separate barrels, let's say those 15 barrels of Cabernet, are they going in the direction we need them to be going to achieve this goal of bottling it up and getting it to you so that you can enjoy it at your leisure? And what I was talking to about these uh, clients that were, what I, when we were talking about this to these clients that were out at the winery, we tasted through a couple of barrels. Actually, I was like, here's our, here's Cab Franc in a used barrel. Here's Cab Franc in a new barrel. Here's Cabernet Sauvignon in one used barrel. And here it is in a new barrel. And they asked a specific question about a different type of barrel that was kind of up on top of the stack. And I said, oh, that's the be patient barrel. And they looked at me as like, be patient barrel. I said, that barrel, it's, it's on the right track, but it needs time. It just needs time. And they kind of looked at me weird. <laughs> and I, I knew I'm like, you're going to taste this. And I, and I had, I couldn't help myself. I was like, we're going to taste this, but I need you to remember this is the be patient barrel. <laughs> it's, this is, it's entered its terrible twos or it's a three major or it's just a shithead teenager. It's one of those things and it's putting up a fight right now. And you're just there trying to let it tucker itself out. And as soon as uh, I poured a little sample for them, uh, we smelled it, tasted it. And they're like, oh, yeah, this is, yeah, this is like clearly, it was, a it was a big departure from the other, you know, four barrels we had tasted. Yet it was harvested on the same day. It was processed very, very much in line with the other barrels that we had tasted. Um, it was, for all intents and purposes, you know, the same lots that were you know, just separated now by 60 gallon increments, depending on what barrel it was in. But this was the one that's like, yeah, this is just gonna take a minute. It's just gonna take a minute. And I hope it, it was, I didn't quite see the deer in the headlight side of things, but I hope that it clicked in where it's like, it's okay not to worry about this. Trust me, I've been doing this a while. It's okay for a barrel every once in a while to be a little weird and you just got to let it figure itself out because the way when I smelled that barrel and me personally, I smell it. I'm like, there's nothing overtly flawed. There's nothing going wrong in that barrel. It's just having a day. And this is one of the judgment calls you have to make as a winemaker. And where we're talking about the barrels that we use is that, you know, whether you're taking a random sample of a much bigger production, or you've got a few barrels that you're tasting through on just a random day, there's going to be a moment where you taste something you're like, Ooh, do I need to fix that? And you think about it for a second. 
and your brain goes into troubleshooting mode. And you think about, okay, if I needed to fix it and what would I do? How would I do this? What is, what's wrong? You start trying to diagnose the problem and you check certain things off the list that it's not that, it's not that, it's not that. So in smelling this barrel, I know from personal experience in winemaking now that at this point in my career, that I checked all those boxes. I'm like, there's nothing overtly wrong with this. It's just having a day. And I know full well that probably a month from now, it's going to be beautiful, but we just need time. And it's tough. It can be tough if you're new to the wine industry or you're not familiar with winemaking and kind of these subtleties within a cellar that certain barrels just go through these ebbs and flows. Partially why I opened up Pinot Noir and we're going to get into that sucker in a second. But even there are going to be many, many barrels that, I mean, not many, hopefully it's not a lot, but there's going to be a few every year that you're just like, I don't know about this guy. And it's, there's nothing overtly wrong with it, but you just got to wait. You just got to be patient. This happened with our Pinot Gris this year. No joke. We bottled up our Pinot Gris in the end of February, February 28th. And there were, there were two barrels out of six we're talking one third of our Pinot Gris from this last harvest where I was like, I don't know if I can bottle these. And this was at, you know, end of December, beginning of January. I was overtly concerned about our white wine program this year. And I had to remember that at the end of last year, when we were doing the same thing, going from 2021 into 2022, when we we're making Pinot Gris the first time and kind of where that wine was headed and kind of the ebbs and flows of the six month process of making that wine, that there is a certain point where it's like, it's just going through a bit of a phase. And the same thing happened this year. And I had forgotten all about it until I went back to my notes from 2021, the 2021 vintage and into you know last year, 2022. And I was like, oh, the same thing happened. But last last year, I was just one barrel. And I was like, oh, that'll sort itself out. I didn't think twice about it. This year, it was two barrels. I'm like, shit, that's a third of the production. I can't have two barrels get weird on me. And I panicked until I read my notes. And I was like, it's okay. Everything's going to be okay. We're going to be okay. And sure enough, come the second week of February, we're bringing all that up to tank. Uh, we're getting ready to put that final blend together and bottle that wine on the 28th. And it was beautiful. I'm so happy with our 2022 Pinot Gris. It is gorgeous. But there was a moment where I doubted everything I knew about winemaking because I had one third, two barrels out of six that I was not totally happy about. And it came around. Because there, there was nothing, again, going through that checklist. There was nothing overtly wrong or spoiling or causing problems. It was just going through a phase. And that probably sounds a little esoteric and out there, but it's absolutely true. Certain wines, when you're tasting them in barrel, will go through these moments. And you have a natural instinct as a winemaker to troubleshoot. Because the last, I mean... A lot of us, I'm actually pretty terrible at chemistry when it's all said and done, but there is a lot of science and chemistry that goes into pretty much what we do on a daily basis. And my goal when I'm making wine is to make sure that my winemaking does not become a chemistry problem. I failed college chemistry twice. I don't want to take it a third time. I want to prevent 
everything I can from going wrong. I want to be preventative medicine. That is my job as a winemaker is I need to make sure that everything stays on an even keel and I knock this out of the park as best I possibly can. And when you have those little moments where you're like, ooh, I don't know about this, it gets a little sketchy and you question what you were doing. But then you go through, again, you go through your checklist and you're like, hey, we're good. There's nothing here that's causing a problem. This is just what wine does. It's kind of this living, breathing thing that you have to guide along its path to get to bottle. And that's what happened with this Pinot Gris. That's what hap is happening right now with the Cabernet that's in barrel. And that's the kind of stuff that drives us up a wall. But damn it, it makes it all worthwhile when we get to bottle up something like this uh, that I'm sipping on. So barrel tasting is, it's very, it, it's a kind of the trials and tribulations of winemaking because it's very easy to taste a barrel and be like, oh, that's really, really good. It, it, we can bottle it now. Or, ooh, that's really rough. I don't think this is going to turn out that well. When the reality is the answer is going to be in the middle. Because if, unless you're, I mean, we do some single barrel lots, you know, many folks know us for our single barrel wines and barrel select program. And those are those barrels that are just yummy. It's the best descriptor in the world for wine is yummy. Because if it's yummy, you know, you're lining it up to knock it down. Right. And, you know, those that know our single barrel Merlot, that's, I mean, that's the yummy stuff. That's the barrel. That's just like, oh, it's, it's complete. It's everything. But when we have eight barrels of Merlot in the cellar, what are we doing with the other seven? And what those other seven barrels are, that's our spice rack. That's, hey, I need a pinch of this. I need a dash of that. We need to do a little salt bay action over here, you know? And we'll use those other seven barrels, for example, to help craft our red blend. How much Merlot do we need to blend with that if we're gonna do a, do a red blend this year? You know, for our Napa Valley Merlot, the staple, the flagship, what do we need, you know, for that? And how do we make that consistent? And we use those other barrels in different proportions to create the final wine. So when you have something like 15 barrels of Cabernet, you know, it's like, okay, we're going to do the reserve bottling, you know, our grand cask, formerly known as the St. Vitor Cabernet. We got to set those aside. Those are going to be their own thing. That's their own project. So we got a couple of barrels set aside for that, maybe three. There's a third that might, might fit into that program this year. So call it, we have 12 more barrels of Cabernet in the cellar. There's actually a set of them that I'm having some fun with. It's going to be a really cool project uh, coming down the pipeline. Very excited for it. And the other nine barrels as a result, are going to be our Napa Valley Cabernet. And we're starting to guide them along that process. So we have nine barrels that are going to make up our Napa Valley Cabernet this year. So it'll be 200, 225 cases, all said and done. And now how do I use those nine barrels to create that Napa Cab? And is there going to be a barrel that falls by the wayside because, hey, we're making a red blend? What's going to be best suited for that red blend? And through barrel tasting, and it, this typically happens for me personally, and I'm sure there are other winemakers that kind of follow this, but uh, for me personally, the, the first real, and we get this question all the time is, you know, when a wine is made and it's starting the aging process, how quickly do you know 
when it's going to go into like a certain part of the program. Like when does your, when do you know your Merlot is going to be the single barrel versus the Napa Valley versus blended into your red blend? Cabernet, the same thing. How do you know what's going to be uh, the Grand Cask? How do you know what's going to be the Napa Cab? How do you know what's going into the red blend? And typically I know that come January after harvest. So let's count the months out, October, November, December, January, three months into it. I'm like, here's where we're heading. And these are where these barrels are moving. Let's start pushing them along that track. It takes for me about three months. And I typically let the wines kind of settle in. I want to taste them usually in early December after harvest. So, you know, maybe two months down the line uh, to, as I'm, I'm still kind of tasting them intermittently, but I do an early December tasting just to be like, all right, I'm taking a breather over the Christmas holiday and New Year's, so I just want to make sure everything's in a good spot. So we do that. And then come the end of January, I'm like, okay, here's the moment where we're going to start dialing things in. And we're going to make sure that these barrels are on the right track and they're moving the right direction. So I go through and I taste through all of our barrels in late January. And I just have a piece of chalk and I write on the barrels, this is where this is going. This is where this is going. This is where this is going. It's all seller shorthand. It takes you know a few hours to go through everything and mark it appropriately. And from that point, we get to, you know, what we did earlier this week where we're trying barrels every once in a while, checking up on the kids, making sure they're playing nice kind of mentality. And every once in a while, you got those few barrels that are just tasting awesome. And you got the one that's like, whew, you're going to, you're being feisty today. You need a, you need a minute. You want like a, like a, like a nice cool, like compress or something to let's to like chill out, hang out a little bit. That's kind of the mentality that I have with barrel aging. It's like, okay, like we got to we got to let you just kind of sort yourself out a little bit. And there's really no better story that I can tell than the first year I made Pinot Noir. And I've, and for those of you that have heard this story before, you're going to have to forgive me because I'm going to echo it because I love telling this story because it's got some shock and awe factor to it. And it's so simple. And it ended up being like a great, you know, there's a, there is a happy ending. I promise. I'm not going to break you down here. Uh, but that's why I poured myself some Pinot Noir tonight because I figured this was gonna be probably the best possible story I could tell for barrel aging and why barrel tasting is so damn treacherous, even for us winemakers, not just you guys who are, you know, just whether you're just a wine enthusiast, you're learning about wine and you're tasting barrels for the first time, you're just not really sure what to think about it. Uh, you know, even we have a hard time with this kind of stuff. And I think it's important to convey that to you because these things throw us for a loop more often than they don't. So this is our 2019 single barrel Pinot Noir. Uh, we just released the uh, 2021 actually at the end of February. We have a little bit of it left. But what this was 2019, we started making Pinot in uh, 2015. So a few years before this one, but it was about this time of year, March, maybe into April. And this would have been 2016. So call it seven years ago. And I had three barrels of Pinot Noir in the cellar and I'm doing what I, what we were just talking about. I'm diving into each barrel, trying it as they go. You know, I'm trying through our Merlot. I'm trying through um, our Riesling at the time uh, for the white wine we were making. 
Uh, we actually had a little bit of Cabernet in the cellar from 2015. So I'm trying that barrel out. We only had a barrel of it when it was all said and done. And then we had those three barrels of Pinot Noir and I saved the Pinot for last because it was my first time making Pinot. I wanted to, I actually did the tasting backwards. I started with Cabernet, then I tried the Merlot, then I tried the white wine to kind of like freshen up. And then I went back to Pinot Noir because I, I, I do that regularly in my tastings. I kind of like reverse my tasting order. Or I do it at random at times because I don't want to have like a single wine influence the next wine that I'm tasting, if that makes sense. So I taste things out of order really, really frequently or kind of what is a preferred order. And it's, for me, it's kind of an easy way to check your work, make sure you're being honest with yourself. Is this your honest opinion or is this just because this wine is having an impact on what you're tasting now? Because that, that happens. That happens all the time. And you have to, I think you have to be conscientious of that. So I taste the Pinot last of all things. And the first two barrels, it, it just ended up this way. Sure enough, the first two barrels were beautiful. We had one that was in a brand new French oak barrel. It was tasting great. Um, I picked out this uh, really solid cooperage. that was just so subtle and just really singing. Uh, the other one was in a neutral barrel, had been used uh, a couple of times. Uh, there were also two different clones. Uh, the 667 was in the new barrel. The uh, 115 was in the uh, used barrels. And for those that don't know, clones are, as we refer to them in the wine industry, they're in essence, different types of the same grape. Uh, so almost think of it like different types of apples. You have your Fuji, Granny Smith, Red Delicious, so on. Uh, for grapes, you have different clones. And a lot of times they just have different numbers uh, <laughs> rather than kind of sexy names. So uh, 667, that particular type of Pinot Noir is known for being uh, very balanced, actually. It makes a, it's a great kind of standalone style of Pinot Noir, or it really tends to be the backbone of a final blend. Uh, typically, the single barrel Pinot Noir that we bottle up, this is uh, typically the 667 clone exclusively. Uh, we don't blend it at all. Uh, it's just something that really, it can do a really stand-up job on its own. So we'll use it as a backbone for our main Pinot blend, or we'll bottle it on its own in a really solid year, uh, like the 19 that I have here. The 115 tends to be more structured, a little bit edgier, uh, definitely provides like the beef and like the, the intensity in the wine. It's the reach out and grab you clone that we use. And we had, you know, one barrel of the 667. Uh, the yields were really low, really, really low um, in 2015. I mean, that Pinot Noir vineyard probably was down like 60% or something when it was all said and done. Uh, so we got what we could out of it, realistically. We were making literally half the amount of Pinot that I wanted to be. And that last barrel was no joke. Like the first two smelled like you would expect, like young Pinot Noir, really bright red fruit characteristics. Uh, the tannins were pretty soft. The acidity was great. It had this beautiful, like refreshing kind of characteristic and note to it. And then, shoot, the third barrel was just like, what's going on here? Like swirl it, smell it, taste it again. Couldn't figure it out. Swirl it, smell it, taste it again. I was like, damn it. This barrel smells like Cheetos. Like no joke. This wine American smell, it smelled like crunchy Cheeto dust. And, and I put the glass down. I sit there and I think about it. I'm like, okay, okay. Let's think about this for a second. I went back. I grabbed myself another splash of white wine. And, and I 
you know, kind of did like a palate cleanser. I'm like, okay, maybe, maybe it's just, maybe it's just, it's Pinot. It's like Pinot's naturally kind of funky sometimes. Maybe it just needs to blow off a little bit. I'm going to let that sit there for a second. I'm going to have a sip of white wine, like reset my palate, and then we're going to get back into it. And so we do that. And I try it again. I'm like, damn it, it's Cheetos. Why does my wine smell like Cheetos? It made no sense to me. And I was flabbergasted. I was like, shoot, like what is happening in this wine? So, so I take a sample of it and we have a great independent lab here close to where we live and I can submit samples and basically get a full chemistry run up on this wine and say, Hey, what is going on by the numbers? Tell me what's wrong with my wine. I get the numbers back. Nothing's wrong. They're all within a reasonable range of like what you would expect. So I'm like, okay, that's weird. So I grab some more samples and I start giving it to friends, family, colleagues. And I'm just like, hey, try this. Let me know what you think. Didn't tell them what it was. I was just like, just, just try this real quick. Let me tell me what you think. And this is over the course of like the week following this. And all of them are like, huh, that's weird. It smells like, you know, kind of cheesy, like cheese rind or like, but also kind of like dusty. Like you run chemistry on it. Yep, ran chemistry on it. Numbers are good. Numbers are good. What is it? It's Pinot Noir. Oh, there's your problem. It's Pinot. Th this, this is just what happens. Like, it's just having a day. I mean, you could rack it, move it into a different barrel, uh, maybe blend it with the other barrels. But realistically, if you do that, it's probably going to get worse. So you might as well just wait. <laughs> and that was everybody's answer. They were like, this, this, this barrel... As, as weird as it is right now, it's not representative of what the wine's going to be. And you need to be okay with that and just let it figure itself out. If the numbers are good, there's nothing overtly flawed or like nothing going wrong, just wait. Just wait and you'll be fine. Just wait and you'll be fine. And I was like, okay, like I spent a lot of money on this fruit. Like, I guess I'll take your word for it. I mean, that's what I've heard, like Pinot's finicky, but... All right, we'll see what happens. So I try not, I, I mean, I'm worried about it for weeks. And it, it must have been a month later, maybe six weeks later. It was less than two months. Like, I know that for sure. I, I went back probably four to six weeks later. Tasted, did the same uh, tasting through the Pinot Noir. And sure enough, that third barrel was beautiful. It fell right in line with the other two. It's exactly where I wanted it to be. It was everything that I wanted it to be. And I was like, well, no shit. They were right. I, there is nothing, there's no other story that I can think of that embodies barrel tasting and your expectations of it as a winemaker and even as a consumer, if you're doing it at a winery and during a wine tasting when you're in California or other parts of the country or world, you just kind of have to take barrel tastings for what they are. Do not make a snap decision unless there's something overtly wrong with it. And typically, if you're at a winery visiting as a guest, the people that are hosting you for a tasting, you're not going to taste a barrel that's got something funky going on. You're going to taste a barrel that tastes really damn good because they want to sell you that wine. <laughs> <laughs> that's just bad marketing. You can't, you can't taste people on wine. That's having a day. You got to give them the good stuff, you know? 
It's like, it's kind of like an, it's almost synonymous with that scene from the jerk. Like what's with all this old wine, bring us the new stuff. <laughs> you know what I mean? You want to present, you want to put your best foot forward, right? You want to put the best foot forward. And it's our job as winemakers to weed through that and say, is this barrel just having a day or do I need to do something about it? And luckily enough, if you're good at what you do, and I don't, I try not to toot toot beat beat my own horn that much, but I like to think I'm good enough at what I do that I can taste through, you know, the barrels we have in the cellar or that other people have and be like, oh, here's what's going on with that. Oh, here, that's good. That's good. That's good. Ooh, that might need a little bit of work. Might be a little reductive, could use some air, uh, might need a little of this. Uh, you know, maybe if you're going to blend that with that, get that done a little sooner. So to homogenize this one, the oak's hitting it really, really hard. So maybe rack that out of that and put it into a neutral once used barrel, just so it doesn't get too, two by four. -y. Um, you know, you, you, you kind of get the, just as you're tasting, you're like, okay, like you, you kind of just know where stuff's at and you can make really great educated judgment calls on what you think needs to be done. If, if someone's asking for your opinion, you know, this is one thing I, I tr don't do is I don't go into someone else's cellar and be like, Oh, you should do this. Don't ever do that. It, pro tip. If you're into winemaking, even just as a hobby, don't come in and tell someone else how to make their wine. That's a big pet peeve of mine. And I'm sure that's of many other people. It's a, just take it for what, it, again, take the barrel tasting for what it is and just, you know, it's, it's okay to have a different opinion, but, uh, don't come into my house and tell me how to decorate it. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> hmm. So barrel tasting is just, it's a chore. It is. It might seem cool because it's like, oh, you get to go to work and try wine today. You know, there are worse things to be doing at the office. Point taken. But for us, it is work. It's why you see a lot of us crushing beers at the end of the day. <laughs> we're having a cocktail because we're going to work and we're evaluating wine almost every single day. Whether it's a blending session, whether it's a barrel tasting, whether we're trying library wines or where our current releases at are at before they go out to say our wine club. Uh, there's a lot of due diligence that goes into making sure we're bottling up and releasing wines that we are proud of. So sometimes we just need a cold one to finish it out. And the barrel tasting side of things is no different. When you go through and you taste through 40 or 50 wines in a single day, that's why we keep the rusty bullets in the fridge. Good old Coors Banquet beer. Set your ride every single time. So barrel tasting, it's, it's so much fun to do. I hope it's something that you get to experience uh, as a consumer uh, at some point in time if you're into wine, because it is cool to try a wine that is partway through its process. And that's at some sort of point where you're like, oh, this is going to be part of a much larger picture when it's all said and done. But remember, and please remember this, just take it for what it is and don't judge that book by its cover. That wine is going to change dramatically by the time it gets bottled up. And it's likely, very likely going to be a part of something much bigger when it's all said and done. So I uh, appreciate you tuning in. Uh, I am very excited to continue kind of these live chats. Hopefully as time goes on, we'll have people start to jump in and I can answer more questions kind of on the fly, very similar to some of the Zoom tastings and things that we were doing 
during the uh, COVID era <laughs> that we went through. Uh, because honestly, it's a lot of fun, especially when folks can't make it out to Napa on a regular basis uh, or you know, once a year or even every other year, or maybe it's just longer in between visits. Uh, if there's anything that I can do to help bring a little bit of winemaking and uh, wine talk to you directly uh, back home, I hope that this becomes a very solid avenue for it. So uh, be sure to subscribe to the channel, hit the like button, share our podcast and videos with your friends. Uh, this will be posted up uh, on YouTube here momentarily, and it'll be live on our podcast page, uh, both through Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Amazon uh, shortly there after. So have a beautiful rest of the night. Hopefully you get to enjoy a very solid glass of wine. You're halfway through the week. And every day above ground is a good one. So celebrate it while you can. Cheers.